Hi, and welcome to the Killer Family Business Podcast, where we help you to build a killer family business without killing your family. On this show, I interview current generation and next generation entrepreneurs and family business owners, as well as experts and thought leaders who can help us to scale through the generations. This podcast is brought to you by Successful Succession, where we help family businesses with their succession planning. We work with current and next generation entrepreneurs to lead their business with advice, training and coaching. This podcast is for people who are in family businesses, who are thinking of developing their business into a family business, and for people who are interested in taking over a family business. In this episode, I chat with Ethan King from Zeus's Closet in Atlanta. Ethan set up his multiple businesses with his girlfriend, who's now his wife, and lives his life with positive intention. He shares his story about when he changed his life path and became an entrepreneur and how he views the idea of life balance and how we can have it all in the main areas of our lives. Ethan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Happy to be here. So you were, even when you were young, you didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial family. Your, your folks weren't entrepreneurs, but you were a real hustler when you were younger. <laughs> Yeah, hustler. Hustler is a, a a nice word, a great word to put to it. But um, you know, looking- it is the it is the best word that I thought I could use for it, just to because I know. But can you talk? Tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that um, you're allowed to tell us that you were doing. Oh sure, yeah. I mean, it's it's all it's all past me now, and um, it's all in my book, so for the public to consume. But you know, a hustler and an entrepreneur are really two sides of the same coin, right? It's just. Um, entrepreneurship is legal hustling. But earlier, <laughs> in my younger days, I wasn't always on the right side of the law. I made, made some poor choices, um, ended up arrested a couple of times, got kicked out of college for a semester. Um, so had a really rough start to my career. And it, it all started, I guess, um, I was always into art growing up, like drawing and painting. I wanted to be a career artist from as early as I can remember in when I was in eighth grade. And when I told my parents that, they said, you know, artists don't make money until after they're dead. And I just mm-hmm. set myself on a mission to to prove them wrong. And um, unfortunately, there, there, there's some accuracy to what they said. Like, it's very tough for a fine artist to make a lot of money. And I always wanted to to be wealthy. I wanted to be rich. So I, you know, I was also very rebellious and, and independent. So unfortunately, I turned to um, to to hustling to to make ends meet and, and to get what I wanted. But after, I'll tell you my, my turning around moment. I ended up. Well, I just before oh. you get to that, I do want to just yeah. foreshadow this for people who are listening. So you've you've said a couple of things there, like artists don't make money until they're dead, and you right. wanted to to do it. And I know that your business and a, a huge part of your empire now is all about creativity and art and design, which is phenomenal, which is a great story. Mm-hmm. And you said as well, you wanted, and I thought it was interesting, you said you wanted to be wealthy, you wanted to be rich, mm-hmm. but you've actually since discovered there's many more ways to be wealthy other than rich, and you actually wrote a book about it. So we're going to get into that later on. So there's yeah. two really interesting things that are going to be uh, woven through your story, which I find really inspiring and fascinating. So yeah, um, yeah tell us about, tell us about, when you had that turning, when you had that uh, moment of changing your path, because that's that's really phenomenal. Yeah, so I ended up at a point in my life um, in my early 20s when I was practically unemployed, um, had an art degree, had a bit of a criminal record, and, and I was really, really struggling financially. And I ended up getting a job at the strip club as a barback. And a barback is the guy who cleans up the bar, takes out the trash uh, whenever someone would have a hangover or 
vomit in the club. I, I was the guy who had to clean it up. So it was, it was not a glorious job by any means. It was the most humiliating job I've ever had, especially when uh, my friends or someone I knew would come in the club to party and they would see me working there. I, I was very embarrassed by it. But I, it was the only option I had. Um, I worked at nights at the, at the club and in the daytime I would teach myself graphic design because I wanted to use my art skills to actually make some money. But so what happened was some of the DJs and the promoters at the strip clubs found out that I had graphic design skills. So then they hired me to also do the flyers and the posters and stuff for the strip clubs, which is great. But the problem with that is I couldn't use any of that in my portfolio to try to get a real job. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was all like raunchy stuff. So what ended up happening is I. Um, uh well, I got stuck and I just kind of got stuck in this cycle and I knew something was telling me, hey, you need to leave this lifestyle. You need to move on to the next thing. There's, there's better things out there. You know, we can call it God, we can call it intuition, the universe. But I was stubborn and I didn't listen. And then one night on my way to the club, I got robbed at gunpoint. I got carjacked. Uh, this guy took everything. He took my car, all my belongings, all my equipment. And I ran off scared for my life. And after that moment, I never went back to work in the, the strip club industry again. I mean, with a sign that came to me, the vo it was like a voice telling me, I have something greater for you. Use your talents for something greater. And I never went back to that form of, of livelihood again. And ever I, maybe about 30 days later, things just started changing in my life. I ended up getting a full-time job as a lead designer at a newspaper, ended up getting uh, big name uh, clients for my freelance work, like Tyler Perry, McDonald's, some of the radio stations. It was literally like things just started lining up. And we had this other company that my girlfriend and I had started called Stuff for Greeks. Uh, it was just a, a class project. So before, just bef oh. before, we get, before we get into the Stuff for Greek stuff. Yeah. So I thought this was really interesting as well. So I remember <laughs> when I was uh, sitting with you in Atlanta, when we met um, a couple of years ago, when you showed me around your place, um, you were explaining to me who Tyler Perry was because as, as, a, as an Irishman, I had no idea who right. he was. And he's huge in America. Huge, yeah, he's a um, And you you worked really close, like you formed a really close relationship and a creative, um, collaborative relationship with him very early on in both of your careers and kind of both grew creatively through that. Talk us, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so Tyler Perry, um, well, first, so back when I first met Tyler Perry, he was a playwright. So um, he wrote plays for a very specific niche audience, kind of the African-American, church-going, middle-aged uh, woman was like his prime target audience and all of his plays were about that. So he had a huge following in that specific niche arena. arena. But outside of that, most people had never heard of him. And when I got the email from his company, I had never heard of him. I was like, who's, who's Tyler Perry? Who's the Tyler Perry company? He had like this cheesy website and he he would dress up as a woman in his plays and i was like uh i didn't even know if it was going to pan out if i wanted to take him on as a client i'm glad that i did when i went to meet with him i mean i yeah it's a very different shift from the type of women you were putting on your brochures <laughs> a, a couple of weeks before so. <laughs> right yeah but um yeah, so his plays are very inspirational and um uh, christian church going kind of gospel music um that type of thing so um I think he was kind of impressed that I had never heard of him and, and he gave me a project right there on the spot and I nailed it, ended up having a working relationship with him for, for 10 years 
we designed all of the merchandise and the playbills and brochures and, and posters and flyers for all of his plays. And I got a chance to watch him evolve up close. Now, for those who don't know, Tyler Perry is now a billionaire. He owns the largest movie studio owned by an African-American and I believe the largest studio in um, in America, or at least in Atlanta, Tyler Perry Studios. He's I've witnessed him purchase, go, go from, um, He's now his fourth studio that I've seen him in, and they get larger and larger and larger. He bought an entire army base. It used to be an army base, and he converted it into studios. So it's been a huge, wow. huge inspiration. And, and one thing that I learned from him early on, because actually our first office was inside of Tyler Perry's first studio. We had arranged a deal where I would give him a discount on some of the design, the, the, uh, design work. And in exchange, he was like, hey, I had this office space you can use. So my, my first uh, side venture at Stuff for Greeks, we ended up putting the machinery in Tyler Perry's building. And one thing he taught me was own it, own it. And he learned that from his mentor, who's Oprah Winfrey. So instead of leasing, um, he would always buy the building. He would buy the land. And that inspired us to mm -hmm. buy our office building that, that we're still in to this day where our headquarters is. Um, and uh, that's I, where I was, right? Yeah, I can't tell you enough how how that, much. That's uh, the that's the one because you have a couple of locations, but yes. the one the office the head office is where I was. Yes, the one where you were. That we own that building. Mm -hmm. So you've said now you were you were about to get onto the stuff for Greeks earlier on. You said we. So we're yeah. a family business podcast. <laughs> Who's we in in this context? And tell me about how the the stuff for Greeks, the current business. Well, your current business is Zeus Closet, but how the, mm -hmm. how it all started. How it all started? Because again, so. that that was really good. Because it was, it start. My memory is it started um, around that same time when you were really changing stuff up, and you went to college and you're doing the web design stuff. So I, I think mm -hmm. it's really inspiring how it all comes together. Yeah. So um, I think it's it's large, mostly an American thing, but in America we have these collegiate fraternities and sororities, and I was a member of one. Uh, still am a member of Cap Alpha Psi. And my girlfriend, who I met at school, was a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority. And we started dating and talking about, she was a business major, I was an art major. And we said, well, there's nowhere we, where we can get the quality of Greek paraphernalia that we need. And at the time, the inter internet was relatively new. We're talking about like year 2000. So um, we said, well, let's make a website with where we sell Greek paraphernalia that's really high quality and advanced. And at first I did it for a branding project in, in one of my classes, in, for one of my graphic design classes. And um, it just kind of sat there for a while. But then we started getting orders from people across the country. We were like, whoa, we must be onto something here. And we were ranking at the top of Google for Greek paraphernalia, fraternity jackets, sorority jackets, all that kind of stuff. And we still do to this day. We're still one of the top players in that space if you go to stuffforgreeks.com. And that girlfriend who, I started the company with like we literally went in half on the business. I put in three hundred fifty dollars. She put in three hundred fifty dollars and we went and opened the bank account um, with money from our first order of three hundred dollars. So we opened it with a thousand dollars and we just bootstrapped it from there and grew the company. And uh, she's now my wife. We're about to celebrate 20 years of being married in a couple of months. And we have two kids. Congratulations. Yeah. So. I know you're going to get more into the family stuff, but we have two kids now mm -hmm. and, and uh, they work in the business. So I'm ready for your questions about that. But they are they're eight and 12 now. Legend and Imana. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have a lot of fun. So stuff for Greeks. We ended when we 
bought the office building, we had extra space and we wanted to open a storefront because we had a lot of demand from customers for that. Well, the thing is, we didn't want to just call it Stuff for Greeks because that's a very small percentage of the population and we wanted to address the, a, a wider addressable market. So we called it, we called the store Zeus's Closet and now we appeal to more than just the fraternities and sororities. We also do embroidery for the movie studios, um, school uniforms, businesses, like the whole gamut, because uh, it's the same process. We're using the same machines in the same process, but we're addressing different vertical markets now with Zeus's Closet. And we have two store locations now. And the tagline for Zeus's Closet, I think, is brilliant. Because yeah. it, it, it explains exactly what you do in a, in a really concise way. Yeah, we're like a tattoo shop for your clothes. Exactly. And it's, and it's perfect. And I, I mean, I've been in your store and I've seen the detail and the amount of artistry that you can actually put on really plain clothing and make it look phenomenal. So it's a, it's a really cool process. Yeah, thank and you. And you brought in, you and your wife, uh, Monica. Mm-hmm. Monica, yes. Uh, you and your wife, you, you started buying all the, the equipment, so you, you bootstrapped it. So when you were building something together, when you had a bit of money, you got a new machine or a new machine to do different bits and pieces. Um, how, how did you make decisions, I guess, on, on which way to go? Especially early on where a lot of startups and a lot of people, they, can, they have lots of ideas and lots of areas that they can go in. Um, and if we take you're the artist and she's the business part, like the business mm-hmm. major and the artist major, how did you kind of come to a, a an alignment on where you were going to take this business or what you were going to do or which how you were going to get to where you were going? Yeah, well, one one thing that we always follow, Monica and I, and we're always in alignment on is follow the money. So we don't invest money in things that we want to do or we want to offer to the world. We wait until there's actual demand. And then when we see repeated demand for, like, let's say a new product line or maybe a new type of embellishment that requires a new machine, we wait until we see repeated demand for it from our customers. And when I say demand, I don't mean people just asking for it. We sell it first. And if we mm-hmm. once we sell it first, then we're on the hook to actually fulfill the order. And this is my advice to anyone starting out in business or even if you're currently in business and thinking about going after a new market or a new product line or something like that, sell it first and then fulfill the order by outsourcing it to another company, just marking it up a little bit. And if you do that enough times and you, you start to see some consistency and that there's enough demand for it, for you to invest in your own machinery and bring it in house so that you have control of that vertical, that's how we approach everything in our business. That actually reminds me of one of the stories in your book about when you were traveling, and I think it was, was it license plates or something that you saw, you yeah. saw somebody who was able to do, you were outsourcing that. Right, exactly. Uh, and then you found this amazing product. Tell me that because that was a really cool, because you were on holiday with your family. Yeah, yes, um, yes, yes. And supposed to be relaxing, but the entrepreneur <laughs> brain is never switched off, so. Uh, never, yeah, good. Draw inspiration from everywhere. Always be a sponge, that's what my mom said. Um, so, yeah, so license plates for your car. One of the, we were offering custom license plates but we didn't have the machinery to actually make it. We would just take the order and then send it to another company. The problem is that company started to get very unreliable and would, they, we would take forever waiting on orders and they would be unresponsive when we messaged them like, hey, where are our orders? 
So I kind of had this nagging in the back of my mind, like, oh, we need to get rid of this company. Maybe we should stop offering the product altogether. It's just too much of a headache. And then I'm on vacation at the beach with my family and we walk by this kiosk on the dock that's selling custom license plates. And she's right there. Her whole business is contained in this one small kiosk. So I think to myself, how is she making license plates right here on the spot? So I, go, I walk around and I see the exact machine she's using. I never heard of this. I saw her whole setup and I just took a mental note of everything. And when I got back to the hotel, I, I researched it, found the company that makes the machines, figured out exactly how, how she does it. So it's how oh, we can do this in-house. And it was very <laughs> inexpensive. And we were able to fire that vendor who was unreliable, brought it in-house and reduced our expenses uh, by about 90%. Uh, which, of course, added to our bottom line. Mm -hmm. So that's the way you're, every time I'm, I'm doing something, I'm always looking for little keys, um, bits of information that I can relate to something else and kind of have them intertwine. And that's where the magic happens. But it is it is always one of these um, on every entrepreneurial holiday uh, <laughs> when you're away with family, everybody knows. I mean, I knew it growing up. It was. Uh, I mean, we ha I remember when we were growing up, when we went away on holiday, we actually had to check if the the resort or the hotel or the whatever we were staying in had a fax machine, so we could be because it was before emails or anything like that. So it was always there was always something to be sending back and forward. So you're never really on holiday, even with family in a family business. That's right. That's right. So you and Monica are still working together. Um, how do you? I split the roles, responsibilities. Do you have clear kind of, okay, you look after that side of the house, I look after this side of the house, mm -hmm. we don't talk to each other until we're at home, or are you completely mingled, or how does it, how does it work for you guys? Yeah, so um, I want to go back to um, our premarital counseling days, because we actually learned mm -hmm. this business lesson from premarital counseling. And one of the exercises that they had us do in premarital counseling is to list out all of the household duties uh, that, that are required to run a house, taking out the trash, washing the dishes, you know, changing the kids' diapers, whatever. So there's this whole list on a sheet of paper and we were each given a, a, one of these papers and had to write the name next to it who we thought was responsible for that task, who's the primary person who's responsible for taking out the trash, doing the dishes. And then we compared the two pieces of paper and we saw where there was alignment, where we wrote the same answer and where there was a difference. And then we had to discuss it and agree on who would be the primary person responsible for every single task. And um, I've, I've since stolen a uh, quote from Steve Jobs where he, he calls that the DRI, the directly responsible individual for getting that task done. So we applied that same thing to our business. And we have a whole a list of every task in our business and who's responsible for that. So even if, of course, you have people under you who you delegate it to, but you're still the DRI, the directly responsible individual. So Monica is she she was a risk insurance. Um, what do you call it? A risk management major. So she worked in the insurance industry mm -hmm. for eight years before she came into our business full time. So she handles HR, payroll, benefits, insurance, um, all the people stuff all in the, the finances, all the financial stuff. Um, that's all her wheelhouse. Mine is the, the marketing, the strategy, um, the production, the artistry, all that kind of stuff. So we have these silos that we work in, but there's still overlap. We still use each other as a sounding board 
but we pretty much stay in our lanes um, with those respective tasks and we manage the people within those buckets. That's that's a, a really clever idea of, of taking home stuff and, and how to run a happy home and bringing that into how to run a happy family business. Uh, and the DRI, I might actually, I, I know we're recording this and people are going to hear me saying this, but I'm probably going to steal that now and, <laughs> and start telling people about it too. So thank you for that. Yeah, sure. Um, so you've got the stuff for Greeks, you've got Zeus's closet, um, and you, I know, and Monica as well, Monica has a podcast and you're, you're all about helping people to do stuff. So Monica has the podcast, it is Monica's podcast rather than both your podcasts, yeah. isn't that right? It's our podcast. Yes. Uh, about helping entrepreneurs to grow. Yes, yes. So you're um, you're both growth mindset people. Yes. You're both um, avid learners. I mean, I'm looking at the photo. I'm looking at the the background, uh, and I can see all kinds of books. With one in particular that's <laughs> very very important. Yes. Uh, so you wrote a book. You launched this earlier this year, right? Before the summer. In March, yes, March fifteenth. In March. So tell us about that. That's the wealth beyond money. And this is about the different areas of our life that we can become wealthy. Yeah. Wealth beyond money. Unlocking the six dimensions Uh of success for richness in every area of your life. And so so what I've learned through my entrepreneurial journey um, and being involved with organizations like EO and, and just being around other entrepreneurs and even myself, I saw it in my own life, is that we tend to think money is going to solve all of our problems, especially when you don't have any. And I was all, I was money hungry, had tunnel vision for so long, money, money, money. What I started to realize is that if you pursue money and you neglect your health, you neglect your family, I, I saw, I look at, I hang around a lot of people who are older than me and I started to see hmm, broken relationships here. This, this guy is old and lonely and kind of grumpy. I don't want to go down that road. Or this guy's like way out of shape and he has health problems and he's, he's at the doctor every couple of weeks. I don't want to go down that road either. So I don't want to pursue money and lose in those other areas. I truly believe you can have it all. And I've since designed my life to have it all in what I call the six dimensions of success, which are spirituality, your intellectual um, improvement, money mastery, your physical presence, your love and relationships and entertaining experiences. And that spells an acronym, simple. And because I believe that it's more simple, we make it harder than it has to be. It's really simple to have it all in each of those areas of life. If you throw away the old notions of life balance and instead think about day-to-day calibration of those six areas, like take a snapshot of where you are right now in each of those areas, because we're all always fluctuating and see where you need to improve and focus on that. And I give actionable tips in the book of how you can improve in every single one of those areas. I, I, I uh, You gave me an advanced copy of the book uh, and I got to read bits and pieces of it, but then things went bananas, but I did get back into it later on. And I found it really, really very practical, very easy to read. It's not one of these um, dense books, but lots of kind of vague examples there's a lot of really tangible stuff in it so i think it's a really good really cool book um but you also do keynotes on this you also share this and share the story uh share some of the key takeaways with people yes definitely so um yeah in fact i have some keynotes lined up at the beginning of the year it's going to be a pretty big tour but the thing about it is um and what, what i noticed that people would would come to me for is that ethan yeah i could learn about 
how to grow my business from from one guy or I could learn about how to get in shape from this other guy. He's like, but you seem to somehow manage it all. I mean, you have a great relationship with your wife and your kids and you travel all the time and you have a successful growing business and you're in great shape. But I'm not I'm not saying this to brag because it, I was broken in all of those areas before and had to fix it. You know, I, I was out of shape. I was financially broke. My relationship hasn't always been perfect. And once I figured out the actionable ways to bring it all together and the key word is is and instead of thinking about, oh, I can have this or this and I can have this and that and that and that. And so can you. If I can do it, then I believe anyone can do it and you can have that and in your life. So I coach people on how to build that and in their life and truly have it all. I, 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 as I said, there's a huge amount to take away in the book. Um, wholeheartedly recommend it. We'll link all the details in the show notes. Um, but you also mentioned there, like, it's key to have the family stuff and that you get to travel. Uh, and I know you and your family went on an amazing trip this oh, yeah. year. I mean, every time I looked at Instagram and looked at uh, Facebook and saw your photos coming up, I felt just massive jealousy. Uh, <laughs> going to Egypt, uh, I mean, you've been... Uh, with your son at a speaking thing and he did a bit of speaking thing a bit of a, a, a talk on the on the microphone I mean you're in really involving your family in your business in your in the different areas of, of your life um, how do you go about being able to juggle that I mean running your business and having your family um, so connected when you're traveling yeah um and I, it's funny, as you're talking about that, I thought back to the earliest example I can remember of when I involved my kids in the business is when my daughter was four years old. So this was before my son was born. And Monica and I were we were struggling to, to meet payroll that week uh, because, it, you know, it happens in business. And my daughter said, what's payroll? <laughs> and we stopped it. We <laughs> we explained to a four year old what payroll is. And to, in order to explain payroll, you have to explain what are employees and all of this stuff, right? But she just soaked it all in at four years old, and she truly understands. And that's when I realized the importance of teaching your kids and being open with them about entrepreneurship. Because I didn't have that at four years old. I, I don't think I learned about payroll until I was in my 20s, maybe 28 or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, until an employee came up and said, hey, you need to give me money for working this week. <laughs> right. I can't just hand you cash. It doesn't work like that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so just think about the advantage that she's going to have learning that in her formative years. Um, and that's that's the beauty of uh, of a family business. And we've always adopted that with, with everything. And they come in. When our, whenever our kids come to the office, they greet every employee by name. They speak to customers. They welcome customers in the door. It's just it's amazing how much they've adopted it. Um, you know, I don't know what the future holds for that, but it's a beautiful thing. So the same thing with travel. I want to I want I want to show them the world, have them experience things so they can do what I talked about before. Uh, I, my mom taught me this. I believe that you when you soak in these experiences in life and these you see the the pyramids and you hear the stories of why they were built and and you see the lions on safari and you understand how nature works well all of that stuff soaks into your brain and into your subconscious and at some point in life it's going to come out and you're going to draw a parallel and you're going to cross pollinate these ideas with other information that you that you got that can somehow just explode 
into maybe a new business venture, a new product line, a new opportunity, but it's, it's those marrying of ideas. So I just try to have them soak as many different experiences into their brains as possible. And uh, yeah, this summer we went on an amazing safari in Kenya. We were at, we were able to stay at Richard Branson's safari camp, which was voted the number one hotel in the world last year. And we were just so fortunate to have experienced that. And it was it was huge. But before the day before we left to fly over to Richard Branson's safari, I took my kids into the slums of Kenya, the largest slum in all of Africa. And it's called Kibera. And we went in and we spent time in one of the schools there and we got to hang out with the kids who were all amazing. And, and we saw what it's like to, to live in the, I mean, these, these people are living entire families living on $2 per day of, of us dollars. And it was just, um, it was, it was powerful to go from that contrast of being in probably the poorest part of the entire world to being able to stay at the, the number one hotel in the world. It's, it's crazy to, mm-hmm. to be in a, And I'm very fortunate to have these, the ability to experience these things. And I wanted to show them the stark contrast so that, you know, it's all about helping others. You know, what good is it to just, to just go around and, and live the life of luxury and not help someone else. So my kids have a big heart mm-hmm. and we're all about helping others. Um, and just understanding and, and soaking in the full experience of life. I think that's phenomenal. I think there's two there's two really key takeaways for me in what you just said there. Now, first of all, when you're talking about stuff with the kids and explaining all the different roles and like what payroll is, what employees are, one of the things that I tell families is if the only place that you have to vent about the problems in work is at the dinner table, of mm. course your kids are going to grow up going, why <laughs> on earth would I ever want to join the family business? It right. sounds like hell on earth. Right. So sharing exactly as you said the transparent the open and honest this is what it is this is what I enjoy about it this is what I don't really enjoy about it mm-hmm. but people can find and this is what your mom enjoys about it this is what she doesn't enjoy I enjoy the bits she doesn't enjoy she enjoys the bits I don't enjoy for example to really um, give them a, a deeper richer sense of what it is to, to be involved in the family business yeah. but then showing making sure that they're grounded I mean as the as the the entrepreneur the current generation entrepreneur who's been able to build um, wealth beyond money as the name of the book and, and be able to have all these experiences to keep people grounded, to be like, okay, well, look, we weren't all, we were, we don't all have a silver spoon in our mouth and there's uh, there's a lot of stuff out there that we need to be aware of. Yes. Um, so how do the kids, uh, what do the kids think about the business? Um, you said they come in, they come in the office, they greet everybody. Um, what what do they think about it? Do they think it's it's a really cool thing that mom and dad do this, or um, and that they might think in the future I might want to work here, or do they talk about that yet? They're a bit young. <laughs> they are a bit young, uh, but we we do actually talk about it, and you know, with kids, that the answer changes from day to day. Um, I will say this: they do <laughs> think that our business is cool, and it's very woven. We donate shirts to their school, and um, we have this wrapped mercedes that's has zeus's closet all over it and we actually have picture the kid our kids are some of our models that are on the rack and we also we had a billboard a few years ago that ran for several years and my daughter was on the billboard so as her in the billboard was strategically placed in a, a part of the town where um it, it happens to be like on the path to her school 
So all of her friends every day would pass by her and see her big face on this billboard. They say, "Oh, Imani, you're famous." So they, <laughs> so it, it gave them this. It gives them this cool factor at school, right? Um, but yeah, they, I think that they, they definitely we were very transparent with them. Like, hey, the reason we get to go on these cool vacations is because of these customers that come and spend money with us. And I think that mm-hmm. that they automatically start treating customers a certain way once they realized, once they connected the two. So they're very, very friendly and personable. And we don't ask them to be involved with customers at all, but they, they strike up conversations, especially legend legends, eight years old, but he has an old soul. He acts like a a 40 year old guy and he has conversations with customers and uh, he's got the right name then. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. He'll tell you, he, he lives up to his name, Uh, but he's also humble at the same time, humble and charming. Uh, he's a very interesting kid, but he, uh, they, they definitely both have my heart. So uh, we, we have conversations like, Hey, do you, do you guys want to run this one day? No pressure. You don't have to, um, they each have their own things that they're interested in. Legend is interested in coding and, um, you know, cracking jokes on the stage and being a stand up comedian. Imana is a, plays the piano and she's fabulous at it. She also wants to be a movie director and an actor. So we, we want to respect their dreams. I want them to go after their dreams. There's nothing like a sense of accomplishment. I think that's the greatest thing that we can experience as humans. But then there's also this side of it that um, we've built this thing up. We're about 20 years in right now of building this business. And it would be great to pass the torch to them and see what it can become. Because there's only so much you can accomplish in in one generation if you're bootstrapping a business. Um, so Legend, mm-hmm. like sometimes he'll he'll just uh, rattle off these dreams that he has. He's like, yeah, when I take over Zeus's closet, we're going to have a big skyscraper downtown and you come inside and there's an open courtyard and a statue of Zeus and there's going to be hundreds of employees. I'm whoa, like, wow, this kid has this vision for our company and that really, really inspires me. And I don't know if he's serious or, you know, just in the moment, but who cares? You know, Mm -hmm. let, let your imagination run wild because you see this happen in real life with businesses like where, the second, third, fourth generation take that business to that other level where it is a whole skyscraper, a whole factory. Um, in fact, I just got back from a trip to Guatemala last month where we toured the third largest uh, chocolate factory. Actually, it's the largest chocolate factory in Guatemala. Uh, only their competitors mm-hmm. with um, Mars, like M&Ms and Hershey's. But it's a family. It was a family started business. It's the guy's great grandfather started it 75 years ago. And they built the modern day factory around the original home. The, the grandfather, the founder, slept in the business and his home was there. And they built the, the, the current factory around his house and the same floors and stuff are there. And it was so inspirational. And in, in speaking to, uh, to uh, the guy who runs it, I think his name was Daniel, he said that, um, you know, he at first he wanted to pursue his own path. He wasn't interested in the family business and he did his own thing, but then he said, you know, he wanted to come back because it, other, I guess other family members weren't running it the way that he, and he saw this potential and he came back and he took the reins and has grown to where it is now. And it is just amazing. But that, that took four generations and it's a beautiful thing to see that continue. So I, you know, right now it's too young. Uh, the kids are too young to know for certain, but I do think that it's in the back of their mind as an option. 
So just uh, when you're talking about the guys in, in Guatemala, and again, I saw those photographs on, on Instagram. It looked amazing. Uh, you were Poncho and a few of the other guys who, yeah. people who we both know out there. Um, one of the things that I talk to family business owners, especially who have kids who are about Legend's age and about Imana, Ima, can we pronounce her name correctly? Imana. Uh-huh. Imana. Imana? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So when they're about their age, it's figuring out where their strengths lie. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the arguments that I make with people is that no family member should ever join a family business. The family business should join the family member. So if we're seeing, okay, he's into coding, she's into creativity and bits and pieces, what are the areas of the business that we can change by a, one or two degrees now and a year and a year and a year and grow it into an area where they're going to, it's going to meet them on their trajectory to be able to hit the ground running and take that and, and grow it in a way that it isn't growing now but feeding their passions throughout the business. So it's a, yeah. it's a, it's an interesting time. And it's also for parents, I think it's really interesting to see, to start seeing where their kids are growing into and where the strengths are and what can I do to support them? Yes. Uh, so I think that's a really cool way of looking at it as well. And I love the fact that you're just talking about it with them and even exp- just no limits. What, what could we possibly do? Right. Yeah, definitely. That's a great point. Maybe Mary, you can marry the two, right? You can have the best of both worlds um, where they can mm-hmm. use their talents, of course, in their own rights, but also to help the business. Maybe Imana could make movies mm-hmm. and, and help direct commercials for maybe Zeus's Closet Super Bowl commercial one day. Um, and, yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, Legend will be out here speaking and being the mascot of the company. Who knows? But yeah, you're definitely... A, but it could... And, and there's definitely... There's always ways... And I mean, we've seen it. We, we How many times have you and I seen it with friends of ours around us? where something just comes out of the blue and exactly as you said at the beginning, two things coalesce and go, actually, that's amazing and we'll do that. Yeah. Um, and it's always about being open to those ideas. And if we can set our kids up to be entrepreneurial with a bit of a head start, all the better for it. All the better, indeed. So what are, what are your plans? So we, we're, the kids have a couple of years before they start really starting to realize their plans if they're coming into the family business. Mm-hmm. Um, what's uh, next for you and Monica? You've got the podcast, you've got two locations, you've got the book and the keynotes. Anything else that we can keep an eye out for? Yeah, so we are, um, we've slowly been morphing over the past few years um, from, you know, the, the origins of the business where we're providing branded apparel, like a tattoo shop for your clothes. Um, and it's just it's purely transactional. You tell us what you want. We make it for you. We give it to you. But what we started to notice over the years is that people come to us for actual business guidance and leadership and, and coaching and consulting uh, for their brand. And we've just been doing it conversationally. And then we start that that motivated us to do the books and the speaking and the podcast. And Monica's podcast is called Become Your Own Boss. And uh, she really helps people start their entrepreneur career. Um, she says newish entrepreneurs. So whether you are, have a small business starting out or you haven't started yet, that would be a great podcast to listen to. Um, so we that is our passion. And so we, we've kind of married the two, married that into our business. And we plan to do more of that where we become a platform for especially emerging clothing brands. Or if you have a company and you want to do your own company swag and have your own company swag store, but also offering marketing lessons and maybe even marketing done for you services with that, because we're really good at, at the SEO and the, the Instagram video marketing, social media stuff. We can offer that to our to our customers as well and not just be 
a source for clothing, but actually a source for, for business growth and education mm-hmm. and coaching and marketing help and, and just the whole gamut of helping your business grow um, in addition to just the, the, the clothing and merchandise fulfillment. So that's where we're headed with the company now and with our individual personal brands. I love it. I mean, I said earlier on, like the two of you are real growth mindset and helping mindset. So, I mean, this, it seems like a really natural evolution for your family business to grow into that area. Um, and then you've got literally a legend coming up uh, <laughs> that can, they can take it over and put it all into a skyscraper. It's amazing. <laughs> yes, definitely. Look forward to that. So, Ethan, thank you so much for, for joining me on the podcast. It was a lot of fun. We're going to link up to everything, the book, the Zeus's Closet, the podcast, Monica's podcast. Uh, we'll have it all in the show notes. And um, where, where can, where's the easiest place for people to find you right now if they finish listening to the podcast? Yeah, the easiest place to find me is to go to my personal website, ethanking.com. Uh, just com, where you'll find links to all the stuff I'm involved with. Um, and feel free to shoot me an email if you have any questions. I, I check my email and I respond to people. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ethan, and I'll see you soon. All right. Thanks a lot, Stephen. Good talking to you. So thank you to my guest, Ethan King, for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, I'm going to link up his details in the show notes below, but remember, you can find him at ethanking.com as well. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast on all of your favorite platforms to be sure to never miss an episode. If you have any thoughts or comments, I'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch by visiting www.killerfamilybusinesspodcast.com. I look forward to speaking with you. (laughs) 